This is Illiterate. My name is Evan. My name is Taylor. I read a book. I watched a movie. This week we're doing The Invisible Man by Universal Studios. This movie is blowing up right now. I just saw it this week, and let me tell you, this movie is different, and it has a lot to say. Usually, and Universal has been trying to redo the, the, the monster movie class. I think the mummy, <laughs> right. the Tom Cruise mummy of recent, but not a lot to say really about the character and the the, intr- the intrinsic fears in the in the characters. It's this a classic movie, horror, like this the is mummy, a classic like horror yeah. movie character monster. This is this is, and they have a lot to say. They have turned this into something totally new, uh, and I'm super excited that we're talking about it. The Invisible Man. So just the opening weekend made thirty million dollars. I think it was tracking for like twelve or something was, because. Yeah. This movie costs seven million to make. Oh so small. We talked about in our last episode how, like, The Call of the Wild was made for probably closer to 150 million. million. Yeah, yeah, with, yeah. With marketing, 150 million. Absolutely. And then Togo, the lesser one, was 40. Yeah. And this was made with seven. Seven. And made <laughs> over three times its budget in the opening weekend because it works and it's good. They have taken this story and reappropriated this character and metaphor to be about mental illness paranoia and abused and battered women this is where the story lives for the first half of this movie you are living with a an abused woman living in the shadow of her uh, boyfriend who has just committed suicide after she left him that's how crazy the the relationship is and so for much of the first act you're sitting around feeling what she's feeling the leftover trauma of a horrific relationship while she's staying with new friends Mm. and that is where the door opens where well she never did get away from him um it it is it is totally fascinating this character has been recontextualized and redone over the years to talk about different parts of, of our fears what could we do if nobody could see us if we didn't have to look at ourselves in the mirror what would we do and so this goes a little bit more in a direction of what would somebody do with actual ill intent from the outset the other adaptations are more about how does this affect you over time how do how does how do your morals kind of start to slip away as your personality actually becomes invisible yeah so uh, so we're going to get into it we're going to break into allow taylor (laughs) (laughs) we'll talk about uh at the end here how the director of the modern one came up with all of this stuff and and decided to change it because a lot of times these things where it is a classic piece of work that has been done a bunch to say like ah we're gonna slap a modern sticker on the front (laughs) doesn't always work but it does in this case so how he got to do that but first we have to talk about who came up with the original idea and the man is hg wells which you've probably heard of him before because he did such great works as The Time Machine, The Invisible Man, which we're talking about, War of the Worlds, which then Ooh. became that crazy radio thing killed by Orson Welles. <laughs> yes. Kill people. And uh, The Island of Dr. Moreau, oh. which in a callback to our other episode, was the thing that Richard Stanley tried to make, yeah. that crazy movie. That was also this H.G. Well, he is known as the father of science fiction. Most of the stuff that he had written was in the late 1800s. Very long ago. He was nominated for the Nobel Prize for four times. Wow. We we talked about the Nobel Prize and how it's a body of work. Yeah. They don't release the nominations until years later, but he had been nominated on four separate occasions over the years. Wow. And never got it. 
Well, I mean, that sucks that you never do get it. But if he got nominated that many times, I mean, yeah. it's not like it was a fluke. Yeah. <laughs> he uh, has written 50 novels of wow. science fiction and various things. What we don't really think of him as, which is what most of my research went into, was 70 nonfiction. Really? Hundreds of shorter stories and articles. He is what's known as a futurist, which is someone who is looking towards the future more so than a guy writing silly stories about the future. Mm -hmm. He is also known for being sort of a, I don't know, prophet in terms of what technology was advancing to. He foresaw the advent of aircraft, tanks, space travel, nuclear weapons, satellite TV, potentially the internet. Also, his sci-fi is some of the first to have such tropes now as time travel, alien invasion, biological engineering. Really? He was, I mean, he's in the same time as Jules Verne and 20,000 Leagues mm-hmm, Under the Sea and all mm-hmm. that stuff, but really he is the one who leans heavily into this stuff. I always am interested in how these people get their start because in some people we see that they come from money or they come from affluence. He's in England. His parents are domestic servants. His dad's a domestic gardener. Oh, really? He makes extra money on donations playing cricket games. Like oh he comes gosh. from nothing. Wow. Super poor. He won a scholarship to the Royal College of Science in London. So that's how he got his education. Wow. And he studied biology. So he is like a legit mm-hmm. scientist mm-hmm. <laughs> based on his yeah, life. Yeah. And experience. imagine if you're studying all this stuff, you're starting to highlight areas in which, oh, that's scary. Oh, that could be terrifying <laughs> if we ever, oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> this is also the, around the time when Darwin is getting super big. Yeah. Yeah. So science is coming into the forefront. <laughs> hey, guys, there's a, uh, this is some scary stuff. <laughs> Mary's right about this. So he starts writing about it. He was a founding member of the Science School Journal, which was a college magazine that was coming out at the place he he went to school. He published a short story at that point called The Chronic Argonauts, which is then the basis for the time machine, which he wrote seven years later. Uh, It was a short story in college. After that, he taught for a bit. So no idea of him becoming the famous person that he is now. Influencing Um, every mm, science fiction work for the next hundred years. He, got, he finally got his bachelor's in zoology in 1890. His first ever published book was a textbook on biology. Good Lord. Uh, as a teacher, he taught at a secondary public school, and one of his students was A.A. A. Milne, who ended up writing Winnie the Pooh. Whoa! Whoa. Small world. Yeah. But that success encouraged him to go back, flesh out, republish the time machine mm. in 1895, and then he's off to the races. Wow. This was immensely popular. He wrote The Island of Dr. Moreau in 1896, Ooh. The Invisible Man in 1897, Damn. and then War of the Worlds in 1898. Wow. So the next four oh biggest things God. he's known for was the next four years. Just uh, sat at a desk straight for a thousand days. Right. <laughs> and then, like I said, just kept writing the novels, wrote a ton of the nonfiction stuff. Some of the nonfiction stuff that ended up being more in our common lexicon, which we know about. The War to End War, also called The War to End All Wars, which is mm. what World War I is known by. That's a mm. phrase that he coined in one of his journalistic articles that he wrote at the time oh, wow. in regards to World War I. Winston Churchill was an avid reader of his fiction and his articles as well. They kept in touch sort of as friends. No way. Winston Churchill, in one of his speeches and one of his works, coins the phrase The Gathering Storm in regards to World War II. Yeah. That is taken from the War of the Worlds oh, in regards wow. to the aliens. And he credits him, Winston Churchill does, in, in some of his speeches as being influential in the way that he speaks is because of his writing. Wow. 
There's a title of his work called World Brain, which is a collection of essays. This came out in 1936, and it is describing his vision of the world brain, which would be a new, free, synthetic, authoritative, permanent world encyclopedia that would help citizens what? make the best use of information resources and contribute to world peace, a.k.a. The Wikipedia <laughs> and the internet. <laughs> the internet. Oh, my God. <laughs> Um, this guy knew, man. Yeah, he he knew he knew what we were living on, baby. We're all walking around thinking we know. No, 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 no. Some of us do, though. And this guy knew. Yeah, this guy knew where we were headed. He was interested in a campaign for universal human rights. He had written letters to the Times in London. He had laid out this vision in a book called The Rights of Man in 1940. So he died in 46, mm. right? But his declarations on the topic were cited and used for the formal UN Declaration of Human Rights that came out in 1947 what? after World War II. So he's super into oh my God. thinking about the future, what <laughs> yeah. it's going to be. Uh, like I said, he died in 46, and he had stated that his epitaph on his gravestone should be, I told you so, you damned fools. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> well, I mean, I have to agree, because when I look around in society right now, I just don't feel like I have a lot of people really looking to the future. I feel like I have a lot of people looking towards next quarter, right? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, so, man, I think he's I think he's right. I've, I wish we had more, you know, long-sighted people like this that are like, <laughs> yeah. I, who would you say is even close to that? You know? I don't like, know. I, yeah. I can't even. Because even now, comedians are sort of common philosophers but they're just speaking to what's happening now yeah is there any any indication yeah. as to where the story of invisible man actually came from for where was his yeah yeah so he this uh, invisible man like i said was the third big book in that mm -hmm. strain of <laughs> books that he those had come four out with. Years, those yeah. 90s <laughs> yeah <laughs> he got him good it was originally which you'll love this, serialized in Pearson's Weekly, which is a British newspaper. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> and then made into a novel that same year. Test it out, put it there out it in is, five yep. parts, you know? Oh, man. That is such a... For we're, we're seeing over and over again that, that that's a lot... That's At least back in the day, that's how a lot of these things came to be. Yeah. They were realized, oh, this is actually pretty incredible yeah. after it was all done, after it was all, all, all out, or at least a significant portion of mm -hmm. it was out. Wells' inspiration with for this, which I'll post a link to, was from a children's poem called Bab Ballads by W.S. Gilbert. And there is a particular poem in there where this very, very large portly man wishes for riches and invisibility mm. and whatnot. His wife takes his pants, and so he's invisible except for his clothes, but he's forced to walk and walk and walk because he can't find other pants that fit him, but he's <laughs> invisible. So he just has to trod the earth until he's lost enough weight to where she'll give him his pants back. What in the world? So it's silly, but I'll show you, I'll post a link and you can also see the illustrations and it looks very much like the Invisible Man. It's just like a coat and a hat yeah. and, and, and shoes and no pants and he's walking around <laughs> invisible. The other thing, which I didn't realize, was from Plato's Republic, there is a myth called the Ring of Gyges where this ring that you wear that turns you invisible, but it's more of a thought experiment about mm. whether if you were an intelligent person and you didn't have to fear bad reputation and committing injustices, like would you actually be virtuous? Does virtue depend on mm. other people seeing ah, you? Yeah. So one of those Plato's yeah, kind yeah, of thought yeah, experiment yeah, yeah. things. A lot of people think that that is where Tolkien and Lord of the Rings got his idea of the One Ring mm -hmm. because the One Ring does grant you invisibility, but yeah. then also corrupts you 
as it did to Gollum and as it did that to seems the, very very direct to, to me the men. yeah absolutely yeah so that is another literary legacy where this idea of oh, something that turns you invisible it's, yeah. it's so interesting to me that like the, the the source of inspiration for massive pieces of work can go in wildly different directions just based on one one little thing just one one little piece of work yeah just is responsible for massive massive pieces of work it's mind-boggling to me, and some of these people that are, you know, down the line responsible for this aren't never knew it. Right? They're still influencing thought and and language and society and culture today, and had no concept of what they were really doing. Yeah, on their, their time on this earth. But now nobody reads anymore, so they, we got movies <laughs> coming out. So the first movie that this is based or that is based on the Invisible Man came out in 1933, black and white film, mm-hmm. renowned for its mm-hmm. visual effects. I'll post a link to the big scene where he unveils himself as invisible. This is part of the the classic Universal movie monsters. Think the Wolfman, Frankenstein, the Invisible Man, the Mummy. Yes, yeah. these are these guys, and this is the golden era of cinema horror right here. And I I went and studied this a little bit. Um but in this one he is he is invisible from the outset and he just arrives in this town and and stays in like a little hotel as he's yeah. doing things and the town starts to become aware that there's a weird dude here <laughs> that like we can't see his face. He's covered, he's got big glasses and and he's a little off and it starts like that and, yeah. and the most of the movie is about them discovering who, who he is um, yeah and and that is not the case for the the other films but that's where it started that it's is exactly very Frankenstein the, yeah. type of movie yeah that's exactly how the book goes it is interesting because HG was alive to see this mm-hmm. and so he didn't like the fact that they took this scientist and he got turned into a lunatic because of the serum that he injects himself with that turns invisible. Okay, yeah. In the book, he is unhinged from the beginning. He is a crazy scientist from the beginning. Mm-hmm. It's not, oh, I did this scientific thing and it turned me into a yeah, monster. Yeah, yeah. He already has these crazy tendencies and trying to create this new world order and take <laughs> over stuff and get people on his side. Like he is already unhinged, which I guess the the more modern retelling is a bit truer. Perhaps to the original I novel. Would in that I would way. definitely say uh, the perpetrator in the new one is a very cold, calculated, right. internal, very, very, very unsettling individual. Um, this is somebody who knew exactly what he was going to do as he was developing this technology. And again, and that that's another deviation that they take. This is not a bioweapon here. It's not a it's not biochemical at all. Right. Uh, and the new one is all tech. Uh, and I've got a little bit of a note on that for later of just the the the, the shift we're seeing away of the, the fear from in selves to the fear of what we create. Right. Um, but I'll I'll get into that a little bit later. After this film, 1940, because of the massive success, they did The Invisible Man Returns. Oh, my God. Which is his brother. Uh, <laughs> and oh, this is, interesting. Okay. This is the, uh, they, that, that has a little bit of a connotation uh, reverberated in the new one. Oh, wow. This is the first horror film of Vincent Price. Really? Who is now known all over the place. The introduction of Vincent Price? Yeah. Wow. In the 40s. And then immediately, they do The Invisible Woman. Oh, which is a screwball comedy <laughs> of oh, Pratt no. Falls. It has nothing really to do with <laughs> anything that oh, this God. was based on. Um, but we maybe see that in the future. We'll see. Uh-huh. Um, 
I had looked yeah. at another adaptation. It's called Hollow Man, but it is directly based off of the H.G. Wells movie. This movie came out in 2000. It stars Kevin Bacon and Josh Brolin, and it's directed by Paul Verhoeven, who is also the acclaimed director of the original Total Recall and RoboCop and Starship Troopers, just Classic to name a few. 80s. Uh, a huge, huge effects guy, huge style guy, massive, massive in uh, through the back end of the 80s into the 90s. And so I remember I had seen this movie as a child. This came out in 2000, so we're right on the precipice of like CGI actually starting to take full front and center in theatrical films. And this serves as a nice landmark for just how far these effects have come. This movie was nominated for an Academy Award for Best Visual Effects. Um, This is still the biochemical, bioweapon kind of uh, like vein here. This is, he is a uh, scientist headed up. He's got the government contract to develop optical weapons about how how to make invisible soldiers. And so in kind of a coup to take control of his own project away from the government, he puts himself up as a lab rat to to try out the new weapon. And lo and behold, they can't turn him back. And so they quarantine him and are, and can't tell the government that they have tried this experiment right. on their lead. And so he's stuck in the in the lab for a while and kind of just slowly loses grasp with reality as he realizes that like, oh, his ex-girlfriend on the team is like having a relationship with the other scientists on the team. Like people get to leave and go back to their lives. But what is it? You know, all those repercussions. Yeah. And he slowly starts just start leaving the <laughs> leaving the lab, playing tricks on people until by the end he is absolutely lost connection with reality in all ways. So this movie is very much about the descent into madness. This would be, if we want to say they're the same character, this would be a pre. This would be a prequel right. to the the first Invisible Man before he would get get away and go to like a, a weird a town and nobody. Town. Yeah, right. Um, so this is a bit of a prequel to. Um, it's not a prequel, but the, if you want to, you know, look at the character in, right. in parallel timelines, this would happen. This yeah. is the descent, but it's super interesting, um, and it's definitely worth checking out. So that brings us back up to the new one. As again, I was pretty floored by the depiction of trauma and paranoia. Yeah. The lingering of these things after they're supposed to be gone. And that's where really, that's where the fear is really mined for this entire thing is feeling like you have broken free from something, but that no, you're still in all the ways that you can't run. Yeah. You're still connected to all of all of these things. And and as these as you keep having these thoughts, weirder things start happening and you start feeling like you're not alone in a room. Yeah. And it starts there. This movie goes into a kind of a black mirror warning against tech. The idea here is it's not a bioweapon. It's not some injectable or something like that, that it was in the other versions. This is a suit. Uh, that is basically made of cameras. That and not I, a spoiler, because you can see it in the trailer. It yeah. is in the trailer. Um, <clears throat> this is a suit made of cameras that is supposed to uh, take in light and then reflect light right back, so that it, you, you're just look, looking at nothing, basically. And this is the, the Predator. <laughs> um, so this idea, as soon as I saw it in the film, I went, this already might exist. Right. The technology that they're that they're talking about now in this movie to actually make this possible is not far off at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, I've uh, seen this done for real on a car. They've turned a car going down the road basically invisible by just projecting the images in front and behind it and the side. 
on back onto the car. Right, right. Um, This is tech that is very much in development right now. And this, again, is a warning that if this were to get into anybody's hands... What are the implications of that? Well, you put it on what a drone you or do? you put it on something yeah. that's flying up above and you can't see it at all. Yeah. yeah. It, 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 is, it is pretty terrifying. So it's interesting that they went the tech route, but then they take it in a very, very dark personal re- uh, road as well. I think the tech in- route is really interesting. I thought it to be a big new invention for the Invisible Man. Yeah. And it struck me as something that I feel like I've seen a little bit more over the last couple of years. I mean, Black Mirror is huge. It's a huge, yeah, massive yeah. success that's all about the danger of tech. Child's Play. There was a remake of Child's Play, the Chucky movies, if you haven't. They remade that last year. The original movie is set in talking about like the a criminal's spirit got transformed <laughs> right. into a doll. You know, it's insane. Uh, <laughs> they didn't do that in this movie at all. This is a that this remake of Child's Play is all about tech. It's oh. a high tech toy. And so I'm seeing over and over again the repro- the the uh, the fears the projected fear, into exactly, media yeah. about what are we creating? What are we actually the gods of now? And what are the implications of our creations? What are they? What are they capable of? Yeah, well, that's fascinating. I looked into the writer director of this, Lee Winnell, and I'll post a link to an interview I saw about him talking about redoing these classics because he was like, "Well, we should make them scary again." Because when they first came out, why did they work? Well, they were genuinely scary. Like when Dracula came out, now they're so ubiquitous, they're cartoonish. Yeah. In an odd turn of when we think about adapting these things, he's like, I was trying to forget anything. Uh, The way he got went about this, I I didn't know anything about him. He is a co-creator. I've never heard of him. With James Wan, they created the Saw franchise. I'm shocked. (laughs) I saw I saw this before as we were as as I was studying for the episode, and I had never heard of of Lee Winnell at all. I saw that he was the writer of Upgrade. It was a movie came out a couple years ago that was had some buzz, but I had not. I didn't know he was a James Wan collaborator. But they were they were yeah they were just these two dudes who are from Australia who were making some indie thing, sold all the rights to it. Now there's 12 million Saw. You know, like they have no control over it anymore. And then James Wan's the one. That went on to do the Conjuring. If you're not familiar, um, the, the, he's huge in horror. So I yeah. had no idea that that Lee Winnell was right there, uh, lockstep with. It's him. funny because they w- worked on that and they split up. And he's like, "I'm totally fine with us. We were the duo. We were the dynamic duo. And now we're doing our own thing." Because he's friends with James, and he knows James wants to do the big pictures. He wants yeah. to do the crazy stuff. James Wan is more of a director, and Lee is more of a writer. So James ended up doing Furious 7, and then he also did Aquaman, Yeah, which each of those movies grossed over a billion dollars worldwide. <laughs> he is the seventh director to have multiple films over a billion dollars. So he made it. Like, he's up there. He's one it's, of the big it's, it's wild. movie-making directors He now. really is, man. Um, but Lee was saying, he was in a meeting after doing that movie Upgrade that you mentioned mm-hmm. with Universal, and they were just talking about things, and somebody brought up, what do you think about The Invisible Man? Mm. And he thought it was so odd, because he's like, I haven't even thought about this character. I mean, I've heard of it, yeah. but I, he's like, it was similar to thinking, it, like, somebody saying, what do you think about Toyota Corollas? Like, it just, like, <laughs> popped up. So he was just like, well, I can't let go of an opportunity. What do you think about Subway? Yeah. It <laughs> uh, you know, was good, I guess. It's fine every once in a yeah. while. <laughs> so he was like, well... I have to immediately, you know, think of something because he's interested in horror and he's not going to let the opportunity pass. So he let it ruminate in his mind. But the big thing that he thought about was in these monster movies, he's like, the POV for the Invisible Man has always been from the monster, the plight of the person who's invisible. So he's saying, 
in that pitch session in 30 seconds, he's like, well, I would do it from the POV of the victim. Mm -hmm. What is it like? The true horror comes from here's this person who's probably in the chair next to me, but I don't know. Obviously, very much inspired by Halloween. Oh, yes. Where that is much more from the POV of the victim. Absolutely. The, with this the, the wistfulness person. of what's out there waiting and watching in the dark. Yeah. What's, what's out there that you can't see. He talked with the cinematographer after this got put together and was like, I want to do things that are different from other horror movies because of the nature of what we're covering. And one of them is turn the lights on. He's like, that's the first thing we're going to do. Because mm-hmm. it doesn't need to be dark. Mm-mm. It's scary enough as it is. It's actually far more unsettling <laughs> that they're just framed up on an empty room for a long time. And they do it over and over again. And the more they do it, the more you realize it's not just put... It's They're actually directing... They By the end of the movie, you should be able to track at times where the Invisible Man is because they built that technique throughout the film. But it is the first two times they do it where you're just staring at at, at an empty room. (laughs) Immediately you go, why am I looking at this? And you start to get unsettled because you realize that's the point and there's probably something here that you can't see it. Or you're looking out and you're wondering like, oh, did those papers rustle? Did that couch cushion get smushed? Like how... How insane am I going to be as the viewer? So he definitely uses those techniques in film to be like, we're going to have long shots on nothing. And so taking all of that through the eyes of a woman who has been totally beaten and battered and abused, who is absolutely stricken with PTSD and trauma. Yeah. And then you have, okay, so say you had a friend that that happened. She's beaten, battered. You're taking her in because she has nowhere to go. This woman is like, a shattered glass that yeah. somehow is still together. So she starts telling you that he's not dead. Yeah. That takes you in a in a direction right there. And that is where this movie starts to go. It doesn't end up there totally, but uh, it really goes down that path. And that becomes another issue of major horror throughout the entire yeah. thing is that she, it, she nobody believes her. Nobody, yeah. everybody thinks she is crazy because of what she's gone through. Except the audience. And that's Except what, the, exactly. That's what the director was trying to get across. He was like, I didn't want to go because the other ways that the Invisible Man has been done is somebody's descent into madness and paranoia. And he was like, I don't, this is not a story of where like you, you're, you're questioning whether or not, it's like you believe her from the beginning. Yeah. That's not what the yep. message is. It's not like, it's is actually, she right or wrong? Yeah. It's actually pretty fantastic, the opening to this film, because they do it with no words whatsoever, and they demonstrate everything you need to know about their relationship. It, she wakes up in the middle of the night in this modern home and escapes, and the more precautions she takes, and the longer this takes, to, to the, more, the more careful that she is, the scarier this gets because you keep asking yourself, why is she doing that? Why is she doing that? Yeah. Oh my gosh, she's really, really terrified. She's that terrified? Is there anything to be scared of? Wham! Yes, there is. Yes, there absolutely is. Yeah. This movie has so many twists and turns mm-hmm. and and misdirections that aren't even... It's, it's, it's a well, well-crafted wow. movie. Yeah. Uh, just the opening scene tells you everything you need to know with no words whatsoever, and you know exactly who these people are. You believe her from the very beginning, and you're off to the races. Yeah, it it, it is is quite staggering he what they're saying, able to yeah. do with nothing at yeah. the beginning. Just her being tense, it says so much. Well, he was saying, it, and I don't know exactly where he got this image from, but I know, I mean, it happens to people he's heard, and it is relevant to modern times where it's like, yeah, you just because you have this guy who's not a positive influence in your life, you break up with him still when you walk to your car late at night, 
It's not like, oh, cool, I broke up with him. Right. He beat me. Exactly. It was horrible. We're done. It's like, well, no, I, I still. <laughs> well, what if he's a tech billionaire with infinite resources and you know he's manipulative? Or you, and just even in modern times, just like in what people <laughs> experience in real life. Well, he's still in my town. He yeah, still knows yeah, where I yeah, live. Yeah, yeah. He's mad at me. Yeah. I'm getting off of work at it 11 o'clock. It doesn't go away, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, the, uh, it just doesn't go away because you're suddenly free of 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 the situation. Yeah, uh, what we go through is marked and stained on our bodies. Sometimes those things fade away, but it is not a flip of a switch. And that yeah. is exactly what this movie wants to talk about: is how trauma lingers. This stuff lingers, and you're not crazy if you've been through it. Yeah, The Invisible Man. It's in theaters right now. I was pretty pretty taken away with it. Horror is off to a great start this year, I gotta say. Gretel and Hansel is another one that's just that that really takes a, an old story in a new direction, a new fresh yeah. direction. Can't say more for that movie or Invisible Man. Good year for horror so far, so let's keep it coming. Um, the more horror the world is, the better we get <laughs> well, stories. About we need it. to take some good looks in the mirror. Have you taken <laughs> a good look at yourself today? <sighs> that's all I'm saying. Thanks for listening. Yeah. Come back next week. What are we doing, Taylor? Do we know? I don't know. We'll we don't know. <laughs> we'll figure it out. <laughs> Write to us. Let us know. At what do you want to see? What yeah. are you into? What do you want to see? What episodes are you into? We're taking suggestions all the time. Get in contact with us. At, at Pod on Instagram. Thank you all. And we'll talk to you next week.